you have your Bible with you this morning, and I hope you do, please turn to Colossians chapter 1. As we continue our study of Christ above all from the book of Colossians, we're going to be looking at verses 28 through 29 this morning, which finishes a section that describes for us what a true Christ-exalting ministry looks like. This is very needful because Scripture warns us that there will be many pastors, there will be many churches that will claim to be gospel-centered, but are not. Jude 4 warns about such false teachers who will talk a lot about grace and yet will pervert its meaning to allow for sensuality, who will talk much about Jesus, but who will deny his authority and lordship over their lives. 1 Peter chapter 2 talks about false teachers who will say that they're speaking God's truth, but instead are exploiting their listeners with false words, who say they've got a revelation, but instead are reveling in their own deceptions, who say that they can lead you to freedom, but instead are slaves themselves of spiritual corruption. So this is the reality of the world that you and I live in. We live in a world where there are many pastors and churches who claim to be gospel-centered, yet are not. Yet are not. And we as believers need to be able to tell the difference. Well, Paul helps us here in Colossians 1, 24 through 29, by showing us what a true Christ-exalting ministry looks like. A true Christ-exalting ministry, one that holds to the saving gospel that we studied as a church together, of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. That type of faithful ministry takes on six distinguishing characteristics. First, it takes on the atmosphere of true gospel ministry. We saw that in verse 24, where the atmosphere of a gospel ministry is sharing in the experience of Christ, which is often rejoicing in suffering. Then last week in verses 25 through 26, we saw the authority of true gospel ministry, which is unfolding the word of God, or excuse me, unfolding the word of Christ. And then in verse 27, we saw the awe of gospel ministry, which is glorying in the riches of Christ. Well, today we're going to be looking at the final three distinguishing characteristics of a Christ-exalting ministry, which is the approach of gospel ministry there at the beginning of verse 28, followed by the aim of gospel ministry there at the end of verse 28, and then finally the ability of gospel ministry uh, there in verse 29. So how do you identify a true Christ-exalting ministry when everybody says they're preaching the gospel? Well, you can identify them because they will have the atmosphere, the authority, the awe, the approach, the aim, and the ability of true gospel ministry. So with that in mind, let's read Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 24 for context, on into verse 29. So Colossians 1, starting in verse 24. Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes this. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery of hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God has chosen to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, 
warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is the word of God who promises our eyes long for as we ask him to comfort us. Let's pray. Father, we long to understand your word today. We ask you to do your work within us as your people. We pray that your spirit this morning would accompany the teaching of your word. That your word would have free course in the hearts and minds of the listeners here today. Father, I pray most of all this morning that you would open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things out of your law. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now as we prepare ourselves to receive the word of God ahead of us, I want us all to briefly recall for a moment what Paul said at the end of verse 25, where he said that as a minister of the gospel... He had been given a stewardship from God, a task that he was to ever be faithful in. That task, if you remember, was to make the word of God fully known. In other words, to teach all of it to everyone. That was his task as a minister of God. But the question is, how? How do you approach that great singular task and obligation? and responsibility and privilege. What does it look like when a church is faithful in making the word of God fully known? It doesn't just happen. There has to be an approach you take to achieve the end. That brings us to our fourth point and our first point for this morning, which is the approach of gospel ministry. There at the beginning of verse 28. And I would say the approach of gospel ministry, if I had to summarize it for you in one phrase, would be proclaiming the person of Christ. That is the approach of true gospel ministry. It proclaims the person of Christ. Paul writes, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. See, true gospel ministry is always focused on Jesus Christ. That's what we've been seeing as we've been going through this passage and what I've been trying to bring out for you each and every week, right? A true gospel ministry shares in the experiences of who? Christ unleashes the word of who? Christ glories in the riches of who? Christ, and here we see, proclaims the person of who? Christ. This is all about Christ. Christ above all. As a church, we do not proclaim a brand of theology or a style of music, or a cultural relevance, or a political ideology. We don't promote an organization. We don't promote a church. We don't promote ourselves. We don't promote programs or personalities. We preach Christ. Him we proclaim, Paul writes. This is how true gospel ministry approaches the task of making the word of God fully known. It is ultimately by proclaiming him who is the word, the living word, the final word from God to man. As John 1.1 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. 
Speaking of Jesus, and again in Hebrews 1, 1 through 2, it states long ago and many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us with finality by his Son. Jesus Christ is the full and final revelation of God to man. Therefore, how do you know when the word of God is being taught in all of its fullness? Answer, when it is constantly bringing you directly to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ in all of his fullness. A full presentation of the word is ultimately a presentation of Jesus Christ. This is the approach of true gospel ministry. It is proclaiming and exalting the person of Jesus Christ. So what does this mean practically? That means that at the end of the day, I, if I am to be a faithful pastor and a faithful Christian, I only have one message. Jesus. Jesus. And only Jesus. As I was thinking about it this week, it was humbling to realize that American Christianity doesn't want him anymore. They say that he's not enough. As 1 Corinthians 1.23 says, Christ is foolishness to the Gentiles. Today, if your only message as a pastor or as a church is Christ, that is seen as foolishness by both liberal and conservative Christians. You know, I used to think growing up that the people talked about in 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4, who would not endure sound teaching, but instead with itching ears would seek out teachers to suit their own passions. I used to think that that verse only referred to liberal Christians. You know, people who reject the Bible. I've come to see over the last 10 years as being a pastor in America that that is not true. Today, if your only message as a church or as a Christian is Christ alone, that is soundly rejected by conservative individuals as much as by liberal, even though I hate to even use those terms. Most Christians today, even conservative ones, are not looking for their pastors to be proclaimers of Christ and his word. They're looking for pastors to be champions of their pet causes, experts in the issues of their age or spiritualized versions of their own favorite political commentators. That is not the call of a pastor. And if you think that that makes a pastor or a church irrelevant, because all they preach is Christ, then the problem is with you, and not with your pastor or church. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but with itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth to wander off into empty myths. That time is upon us. That moment is now. No one wants Christ alone. So what is our call as Christians? If we would be faithful in the day in which we live, the very next verse in 2 Timothy ch uh, chapter 4 says this, but as for you, in other words, for us as a church, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your mini ministry, verse 2, preach the word. Him we proclaim. And if, for example, 
because I never know anyone's heart. If that, for example, makes me foolish in your eyes, then I beg you, as Paul begged the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 1 and following, bear with me in my foolishness. Bear with me. For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Jesus Christ. But I am afraid that just as Satan deceived Eve with his cunning, your thoughts may be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Jesus Christ. If you're looking for a champion of causes, or if you're looking for a master of the issues of the day, I want you to know that I'll give someone else that opportunity. That's not my call as a pastor. As for me, I'm compelled, I'm committed, I am privileged to preach Christ alone. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.2, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. In other words, I determined to concentrate on nothing else except Jesus Christ. And we need pastors and churches like that today. Him we proclaim. As Charles Wesley once wrote, Him as my righteousness I show. His saving truth proclaim. Tis all my business here below to cry, Behold the Lamb. Happy if with my latest breath I am but gasp His name. Preach Him to all and cry in death, Behold, behold the Lamb. Him we proclaim. Our approach in gospel ministry is proclaiming the person of Christ. But that is not all. There's a specific way we are to go about proclaiming the person of Christ. Paul tells us how in the next phrase. He says, him we proclaim how? By warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Notice, a Christ-exalting ministry, one that directs people to Jesus Christ is composed of both negative and, aspe- uh, negative and positive aspects to their ministry. First, a faithful ministry says warns everyone. That's nuthateo in the Greek. It means encouraging counsel in light of sin. It's basically what we tell our kids. If you keep that up, you're going to be in a whole mess of trouble. That's what Paul is saying. That's a warning. That's counseling. That's nuthateo. Right? And that is what true gospel ministry does. It takes the word of God, it points out error and sin, and it urges the individual to turn and to flee from it. It does so gently, as Galatians 6 verse 1 says, but it also does so firmly. As 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, admonish the idol, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. So this is a part of faithful ministry. And this part of faithful ministry, when the word of God is directly applied heavily to a person's heart and circumstances, is not very popular or always enjoyable. You'll hear things like, I don't need that type of negativity in my life, Pastor. (laughs) But listen, that's not true. The sign that says danger cliff ahead may be a negative message, but it is desperately needed for your life. (laughs) So is the brother or sister who comes alongside you and says, listen, you're veering off course. You're headed to a cliff. Come back to Christ. Come back to Christ. Do you have anyone in your life like that, believer? Someone who loves and cares for you enough to give you the warnings to direct you back to Christ. 
We need those types of people who can tell us, like Paul told Timothy, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Join us as we seek after Christ. Don't go that way. Come with us. Faithful ministry has that. A faithful ministry warns everyone, and it also teaches everyone. It also teaches everyone. This is the positive aspect. Not only turn from sin, but turn to who? Jesus. (laughs) Turn to him. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. A true gospel ministry and minister takes the word of God and positively instructs believers in how to live for Christ. Tells a believer what's wrong, but he also tells a believer what's right. What is false and what is true. What to avoid and what to pursue. And by the way, these two aspects of warning others and teaching others by the word of God is the gospel ministry of every believer, not just the guy who happens to be standing behind the pulpit. Every believer, as Paul says later in Colossians 3, verse 16, later on in this book, he says, uh, as the word of Christ dwells in us richly, we as believers ought to teach and admonish one another. The exact same words that Paul uses here. The only way that everyone can be warned, and the only way that everyone can be taught, is if everyone is doing the work of the ministry. That's what Paul is teaching here. Everyone in the church is to be proclaiming Christ. Everyone is to be teaching and admonishing one another as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And how are they to be proclaiming Christ? How are they to be encouraging their brothers and sisters by teaching them and warning them? He says, with all wisdom. With all wisdom. What does that mean? Well, in short, it means with all scripture. The only true wisdom that you and I as Christians ever possess in this world, oh, please, please take this to heart. The only wisdom you possess is the wisdom that has been given to you through Christ in the Word of God. It's the Word of God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 6, Among the mature, we do impart wisdom. What is that wisdom? Well, verse 10, The things that God has revealed to us through the Spirit. The Word of God. God's word is our wisdom. We have no other wisdom. You may have had a lot of life's experiences, but you could have come to all the wrong conclusions. You could still be a fool and have gray hair. The only wisdom you've got is from the Spirit of God as recorded in the Word of God. As Ephesians 1.17 says, The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, uh, gives us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. How? In the knowledge of him God's word is our wisdom believer God's word is our wisdom and Paul says we are to be using all of it all of it we are to be making the word of God fully known we are to be proclaiming Christ we are to be teaching and admonishing one another how by using all the wisdom that God has given us in this book the Bible by using all the wisdom he has given by using all the word of God and so again let's get practical What does this look like? A true gospel ministry's teaching will not be jumping back and forth schizophrenically from relevant topic to relevant topic. It will be going steadfastly through all of God's word, word by word, phrase by phrase, book by book. Why? Because it has been given a stewardship to both proclaim Christ and to warn everyone and teach everyone by using all the wisdom that God has given in his word. 
not just a few select chosen passages. So a true Christ-exalting ministry follows this approach. A true Christ-exalting ministry uses all of Scripture to apply all of Christ to all of life. That's a gospel ministry. It uses all of Scripture to apply all of Christ to all of life. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. This is the approach of gospel ministry. And you know why it's the unique approach of gospel ministry? Because of the unique aim of gospel ministry. And that's in the end of verse 28. The unique aim of gospel ministry, I would put it this way, is maturing the people of Christ. Maturing the people of Christ. That we may present everyone mature in Christ. See, this is why we teach the way we do. As a church, word by word, phrase by phrase, book by book. It's not a preference that we have. It's a conviction that comes from the word of God. We have a unique approach to ministry because we have a unique aim in our ministry. It is to present everyone mature in Christ. You know, you can always tell the aim of a church's ministry by looking at their approach to their ministry. Lots of churches have it as their aim to grow, uh, either to grow in size or to grow in popularity or influence or maybe in wealth. And you can always see that aim reflected in their approach that they take to ministry. So if your aim is to grow in size, then you'll give away cars or free iPads in order to attract visitors, like I learned about this past week from a church in Maryland and a church over in London. If your aim is to grow in popularity, then you'll make it your focus to attract celebrities in order to become known as the church that has all the excitement and the in crowd. If your aim is to grow in influence, then you'll make it your focus to befriend people in power in order to have a voice in government. If your aim is to grow in wealth, then you'll make it your focus to attract rich donors and to keep the poor as much at a distance from your ministry as possible. But if your aim is to grow in Christ, then you make it your focus to teach the word of God, to use all of scripture, to apply all of Christ to all of life. A true Christ-exalting ministry has a unique approach to its ministry because it has a unique aim in its ministry, to mature those who belong to God in Christ Jesus. To present everyone mature in Christ. The only way... To make the people of God fully mature is to make the word of God fully known. And the only way to make the word of God fully known is to make sure the word of God is fully taught. Word by word, phrase by phrase, book by book. So that's why we teach the way we do. I want you to know that. If you're sitting under my ministry, why do I do it the way I do it? It's because of this right here. This, if you want to know what is one passage that has most impacted my ministry and how I approach it as a pastor, it is this passage in Colossians chapter 1. This is why we teach the way we do. We do not pick and choose various topics at random. We go phrase by phrase through books of the Bible because the only way the Word of God can be fully known is if the Word of God is fully taught. And if the Word of God is fully taught, then the people of God will at the end of that ministry stand before God fully mature. God's word does the work. Scripture is what brings about spiritual maturity. Acts 20.32 says this, Now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to do what? Build you up, right? Ephesians 4.15, By speaking the truth in love, we do what? 
we grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And that's why 1 Peter 2, verse 2 says this, Long for the pure spiritual milk of the word. Why? So that by it you may what? Grow. The only way you can present the people of God fully mature is if you teach the word of God fully to them. The word of God does the work. It brings about spiritual maturity. So this is the aim of true gospel ministry, to make the word of God fully known so that the people of God may be fully mature. This ought to be the aim, by the way, of not just our church. This ought to be the aim of every local church, every single one, because it is the aim of God himself. Third John verse 4 says this, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. See, just as an earthly father loves to see his children grow and mature physically, so our heavenly father loves to see us grow and mature spiritually as well. And so he created what? The local church, right? To make the word of God more fully known so that the people of God can become more fully mature. This is the aim of true gospel ministry. So again, when we think like this, then that means that everything that we ever do as a church can and must be examined by these core questions, right? These core questions. Does this help us present God's word more fully? And does this help us present God's people more fully mature? Is what we are doing as a church transforming men and women from becoming mere hearers of the word into doers of it, into disciples and followers of believers of Jesus Christ? Because this is our aim and this is our focus as a church. As one pastor said, you take care of the depth of your ministry, God will take care of the breadth of it. Make the word of God fully known so that the people of God can be fully mature. This is the approach and aim of gospel ministry, which brings us finally to the ability of gospel ministry. And I would summarize it as this way. Relying on the power of Christ. This is the ability of gospel ministry. For this I toil, Paul says, struggling with all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. So after Paul says that his approach and aim in ministry was to make the word of God fully known so that the people of God could be more fully mature, to present everyone mature in Christ, Paul says immediately after that, for this I toil. I work to the point of exhaustion to achieve the end, to make the people of God fully mature through the proclamation of Christ and all of Scripture. I toil to this end. I work to the point of exhaustion, and not only to the point of exhaustion, but Paul says here, for this I toil, struggling. That is agonizing. Paul says over in Galatians 4 verse 19, I am in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. He drained all of his ministry into, into fulfilling it. All of his energy into fulfilling his ministry, just as wrestlers would strive for mastery in the Grecian games. It's the same word that was used here. It means a contest of strength. Paul exhausted himself in the proclamation of God's word and in prayer so that he could present everyone under his care mature in Christ. Make no mistake about it. Nothing of eternal value is ever accomplished Apart from hard work. Nothing of eternal value is ever accomplished apart from hard work. And that makes sense when you think about it. Because the things that are most excellent are often the most difficult, aren't they, in life? Why would it be any different about serving Jesus Christ and engaging in eternal ministry over people's souls? It's like 
what an old t-shirt said that my grandma gave me for Christmas one year. I've never forgotten it. I was probably like six or seven. I wore that t-shirt out until it couldn't even stand my body anymore. It had this hot rod of a race car on it with flames bursting out the side. And over the race car it said, I'd rather burn out for Jesus than rust out in this world. I didn't know that until later, but that was taken from George Whitfield's dying words. As he lay on his deathbed struggling to breathe due to asthma after one of his sermons, one of his friends told him he wished Whitfield would not preach so often. To which Whitfield replied, I'd rather wear out and rust out. Three hours later, George Whitfield died after preaching the gospel for 33 years and being used by God to bring about the American Great Awakening. It's true, serving Christ is hard. But it's only hard because you are finally doing something with your life that eternally matters. That's why it's hard. And that is why it's worth it. To proclaim Christ, to make him fully known, to present his people fully mature. You better believe that's hard because it is so glorious. So as one book title put it, do hard things. Do hard things. And if you do, you'll know the power of God. As Paul says next, for this I toil, struggling how? with this? With all his energy that he powerfully works within me. I love that because how it confronts the lies of the Colossian, that the Colossians were being deceived by. What a promise Paul gives here. That if you toil and struggle in the service of Christ, you will experience the power of Christ. See, lots of people want to hear about the power of God today, don't they? Just like back in the Colossian church, right? Why, if you want to fill up a church real quick, tell them, about, tell them that all they have to do to experience is God's power is to be slain in the spirit, pushed by a pastor, or whacked by his towel, right? But if you want to clear a congregation in an auditorium really quick, talk about toils and struggles, sweats and tears as the path to God's power. Nevertheless, that is how God demonstrates his power in the lives of those who are his. Through our weaknesses, as 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9 says. Paul says over in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, we have this treasure, right? This in jars of clay. We have this gospel ministry carried about in our weaknesses, in exhaustion, in toil, in struggling. Why? Why has God chosen to put this gospel ministry in, in frail people like us? What in the world was he thinking? To show that the surpassing power belongs to him and not to us. Yes, our ministry for Christ is hard work, but we're not, we're not alone in that work. We have a resource that is infinitely greater than all of our struggles, the presence and power of Christ. He is in us, and he works in us. And so if you want to know and experience Christ's supernatural power, first of all, I would say get off the couch and get to work for him. You say, I just really feel worn out. Like, I just, I feel so tired. Well, maybe it's because you're giving your life to lesser things than Christ. Maybe it's time to draw near to the fountain of life, drink fully of it and hand him out to all those who are around you because the path to Christ's power is serving Christ 
See, most of us are sitting around often, waiting to experience power so that we can then get to work, right? When in reality, what we need to do is first obey God, get to work, and then we will experience his supernatural power. That's why I often say to people, on my, reflecting on my own ministry, every sermon's a miracle. <laughs> That's true. So many aspects of ministry come up throughout the week to wrestle through them all and to get to the end of the week with a message that is actually studied, personal, prepared, and ready to give. It is a battle. But that struggle reminds me every week as a pastor that when a sermon actually does get done, it is a miracle. All glory goes to Christ, for apart from him, I can do nothing. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 5 says, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. If ministry wasn't hard, ladies and gentlemen, we would forget that it is supernatural. It is only by struggling with all of his energy that he powerfully works within you. If you do Christ's work, I promise you, you will know Christ's power. 1 Corinthians 12, 5 through 6 says, There are a variety of ministries, but the same Lord. There are a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in every single one of us. So do Christ's work, and you will know Christ's power. And that's why I'm excited for these ministries that are starting back up here at this church. Uh, for the members that are steadily joining our body, for these opportunities of service that are becoming available and steadily getting filled. Why am I excited about that as a pastor? Because I like just people doing things? No. It's because when the people of God are at work, the power of God is on display. A church where nothing's happening is just a building, ladies and gentlemen. But where God's people are at work, making the word of God fully known and maturing one another through the proclamation of Christ, that's a church. That's a true gospel ministry, and that is a Christ-exalting ministry. So I do have the question for you today. How about you? Are you at work for Jesus Christ in your own family, proclaiming him, making him fully known? Are you at work for Jesus Christ on your street? Are you at, Christ, at work for Jesus Christ here in this place and in this church? Because when you do Christ's work, then you'll experience Christ's power. So this is the ability of gospel ministry. It is relying on the power of Christ. As Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's not taken out of context this morning. These are the marks of a true Christ-exalting ministry. It shares in the experience of Christ. It unfolds the word of Christ. It glories in the riches of Christ. It proclaims the person of Christ. It matures the people of Christ. And it relies on the power of Christ. This is true gospel ministry. So as I close this morning, this is my application for you all. Would you pray? Would you pray for this type of ministry to burst forth in our land, in our day, and in our church? That from the mountains to the valleys, as we sing from sea to shining sea, this land would be filled with churches that exalt the Lord Jesus Christ, that make the word of God fully known, and that present every man, woman, and child under their ministry fully mature 
in Christ Jesus because they are struggling with all of his power that he is powerfully working in them. I pray that God would do that work. That what we saw from George Whitfield would not be the end. That believers would realize it is better to burn out for Christ than to rust out in the world. They would give themselves to living a life that exalts Jesus Christ. And I pray that we would be a part of their number when God does this work in this land. For the glory of God, for the sake of Christ, and for the good of his people. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ever ask or think. According to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church. And in Christ Jesus. Throughout all generations. Forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of God from Colossians 1, 28-29, which I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience. To that end, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We know that it has been given not so that it would fill our minds, but so that it would fill our hearts and our lives. Father, we know why you have outlined for us what a true ministry that exalts Jesus Christ looks like it is given for two reasons one so that we would not be deceived by the lesser things of this world by those who claim to be gospel preachers gospel proclaiming churches but rather that we would understand the truth and know what a place that truly exalts him looks like but father you have also given us your word in this place so that we would be that type of church father I pray that we would Help us to be a church that makes the word of God fully known so that your people who come to this place may become fully mature. Father, we thank you for the gift of all wisdom that you have given us in your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, who gives us the power to do this work for your honor and glory. And Father, I pray that we would step out in faith, engage in ministry, teach and admonish one another by your word of grace, so that we would be a light in this land, so that we would please our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and to him be glory, both now and forevermore, here in this place, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen.